Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Well, hello, welcome to Chat Noir, Mystery and Suspense, Hair-Raising Tales from the Dork Side. <laughs> welcome to our show. I'm Linda Kozar. Buckle up, my friend. We're in for a suspenseful ride today. I'm introducing award-winning author, Brandilyn Collins. Um, she is the author of Seatbelt of Suspense. So today, and only today, we're offering a free copy of her latest release, Vain Empires. It's, it's in ebook form, and remember, drawings for book giveaways are awarded exclusively to recipients in the continental United States. So I'm going to read you a little bit about my guest, Brandilyn Collins. She's a best-selling novelist, known for her trademark seatbelt suspense, which I mentioned earlier. Um, she has fast-paced character-driven suspense with myriad twists and an interwoven thread of faith. These harrowing crime thrillers have earned her the tagline, don't forget to breathe. She also writes insightful contemporary novels, often laced with humor. Her first book, A Question of Innocence, was a true crime, published by Avon in 1995. I remember Avon. <laughs> That's a long time ago. Um, her promotion landed her on local and national TV and radio, including the Phil Donahue and Lisa talk shows. Brandlin's awards for her novels include the ACFW Carroll Award, which she won three times, the Inspirational Reader's Choice, the INSPI, the Christian Retailing's Best Award twice and Romantic Times Reviewer's Choice. She is also known for her distinctive book on fiction writing techniques, Getting Into Character, Seven Secrets a Novelist Can Learn from Actors. So welcome to the show, Brandlin. Hey, thanks very much. It's, it's just a real pleasure to be here. Well, um, I am going to... I'm going to start by asking you my first question. I, I love reading about your life on your webpage. Um, your life sounds like its own novel. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? A little bit about myself. Um, I was born in India, the child of missionary parents. We lived there till I was three. Then I grew up in Kentucky uh, where I learned to speak English instead of Canarese all the time, um, because I used to prefer speaking in Canarese until I moved to Kentucky, and the little kids there did not understand what I said. <laughs> so then I learned to speak English with a Kentucky accent, with an in Indian accent, and, and now you noticed I've lost all those accents, because all those accents together would be most very strange. <laughs> so, <laughs> I wish I could have heard that, though. <laughs> so... Uh, I grew up in Kentucky, and then I moved to California. Now my husband and I live in our wonderful paradise home in Idaho, in the forest and at the lake. And now, uh, I've just finished my 31st book, and oh. mostly suspense, as you've mentioned. And I've also written a few um, 
women's contemporary type stories, and I've written some nonfiction on how to write fiction, because when I'm not teaching, once in a while they let me out of my cave and I go to writers' <laughs> conferences and, and teach other writers how to write fiction. And we're glad you do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, you uh, also mentioned in your bio that you love nature. You see God in in yeah. nature itself, and you love music, especially classic rock. Yeah. What's your favorite classic rock song, or do you have one? Kansas, The Wall. Best <laughs> rock song ever on the Left Overture album, Kansas, The Wall. And what is so wonderful about that is at the time, the writer of that song, Carrie Livgren, was a really searching spiritually and you can hear his searching in that song and that's also the album that carry on wayward son is on you can hear his searching in that song and soon after that album carrie became a christian and his I'm gonna have music to his again. rock music turned <laughs> christian so that's why i mean you know when you can get god's word in when you can mix god's word and rock music that is just the best ever <laughs> I agree. I'm going to listen to that again. I'm going to, and I'm going to hear it a different way. Um, now you said, as for your personal stuff, you're married to the best man on earth. Um, I am. You have three grandchildren. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no pets. No pets, but lots no, of not, deer. No, not anymore. We 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 kind of travel too much for that, you know. Yeah, it's kind of hard. Um, and if people really want to make you happy, they'll buy one of your 31 books. <laughs> well, that would be nice. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> now, now, believe me, we're all interested in finding out more about you. But um, I remember seeing your mother many times at ACFW conferences, and she seemed to me yeah. the most fascinating woman on earth. And she, uh, could you tell us was. a little bit about her? Because she was just so glamorous in a kind of not out there kind of way. She just was. She exuded it. You know, she, she was. We we just we just celebrated her going home. Um, it's been um, a few years now since uh, she went to heaven, and uh, so she's all happy and you know released now. She was ninety seven at the time. Um, well, she was a missionary in India, and wow. uh, she learned the hard way. You know, being a missionary in India, you I mean, there's. We don't face things like that in America. You know, you walk outside with a piece of candy and you're attacked by a monkey that wants the candy. You open a closet and there's a cobra in there. I mean, you know, really. Wow. You know, kind of, yeah. So she had four children in that atmosphere and she served God and she was a, a person who never saw a stranger and was always adventurous. And I, I would tell the stories about her at ACFW. You know, every year we would talk about what my mother did that year and like she you know decided at at age uh 84 she went parasailing she decided at age 88 to get braces because <laughs> you know her teeth oh had been crooked gosh. long enough <laughs> she was just a a remarkable woman um and she just she was our little energizer bunny she just went and went until her heart finally gave out she was a terrific woman she taught me uh, Christian love. The, the the most thing, the best thing that my parents taught me was unconditional love, regardless of what mm -hmm. I was doing in my life. Yes. You know, when I was a teenager and young adult and rebelling and all of those things that many of us do, they showed me uh, unconditional love, and that is a great lesson to learn from your parents and then to pass on to your own children. Now, cobra in a closet. Hashtag missionary problems. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's <laughs> can you imagine a Twitter hashtag all that what you would get? I mean from all the visionaries. That's an idea, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so you mentioned that you write mostly suspense, but you also write some contemporary and you have instructional book getting into character. But what genre is off limits to you? Like what is like no way, no how would I ever write in that genre? Well, um, let me answer that question a couple of ways. First of all, whatever I'm writing, I am writing uh, for the Christian market because I do want all of my stories, regardless of genre, to reflect God's hope and glory and salvation in them one way or another. Um, how much of that message in there entirely depends upon the story and where the, where the main character is. Uh, it becomes an integral part of the story. Uh, so within the Christian market, um, you know, I would never write true romance. I, I, I know that that's the biggest genre ever, and most people really enjoy mm-hmm. it. Yes. I am just not a romance reader or writer, and, and the reason is that it's so very different from what I write. In in romance, you know the ending from the first page. Yeah. You know that the, the hero <laughs> and heroine will get together, and the whole story is that journey toward that ending. And in suspense, it's it's very different. It's I want my my stories from page one. My main character gets into serious trouble that she didn't ask for, and you have no idea how this is going to end because it just seems like an untenable situation. So, yes. I like the twists and turns within suspense, and and therefore I just romance is. It's just not something I'm interested in, although I do have romantic subplots within my books, you know, from time to time. What about speculative fiction uh, as suspense? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I guess I'll never say (laughs) no to that. Um, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. It's an idea. Yeah. uh, Okay, so this leads into my next question. How did you get to be so killy? <laughs> I don't I don't I you know my poor mother my wonderful mother <laughs> who was my biggest fan understand she wrote she read every one of my books but she also would look at me and shake her head and say where did I go wrong <laughs> you know you're this sweet daughter who cares for people and is so empathetic and she sits down in books and kills people and comes up with these you know <laughs> horrendous plots. And I'm not entirely sure that I can answer your question. I think in general, (laughs) (laughs) suspense to me is the great, uh, first of all, I love drama. I used to, one of my majors in college was, was acting and theater. So I love the sense of drama and story. And to me, the greatest, highest uh, level of drama takes place in a suspense because the stakes typically come all the way down to someone's life is at stake. You know, so you have the highest stakes presented. Yes. Highest stakes presented through suspense. So I also find that in writing Christian suspense, it's a wonderful opportunity to get my protagonist, my main character, to start thinking about God, even if that protagonist was not a Christian at all at the beginning of the book, because, you know, you've heard that old saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. In the same way, in suspense, when I bring a protagonist to an incredible um, uh, 
stake of maybe losing her life or, you know, someone, the life of someone dear to her, that person, uh, you know, typically in, in life, we, at at those times in our lives, we turn to God, even if we've not thought about God before, you know, like, Oh, I may be facing eternity. I may be better be thinking about this situation right now. So it's a great genre in which to introduce, um, eternal truths. Let's say. Yes. So for and I, all those know, reasons, love, and in the mean, in the meantime, <laughs> I get to have fun and do twisty, turny, you know, and write bad people and, and all those things. But it's always, always uh, to show that no, regardless of the earth, uh, the evil on this earth, regardless of the depth of that evil, that Christ's love is always greater and Christ always can overcome if we will allow him to in our lives. I just love talking about talking with other mystery and suspense writers about the the whole uh, crime part, you know, and like, oh, what what weapon are we going to use this time, or how can we kill this person in an unusual way, <laughs> or quirky, or whatever? But um, it's just it's just sort of a mystery suspense writer thing, I guess. Other people might not understand. <laughs> but what's your research yes, process? True. Yeah, <laughs> what's your well? Your process? I, I, a couple things over the years. Um, one thing I did not ever allow myself to do while I was learning, because I came to suspense. I wasn't uh, an attorney, I wasn't a cop, I wasn't a forensics mm-hmm. person. So I had to learn yes. all that stuff from scratch. And you know, you really have to research so that your your story is based on 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 a reality. And I knew nothing. So uh, my very first suspense, Eyes of Elisha, way back, you know, published in 2001, had all of those things, even had courtroom scenes. So I had to go to, you know, to um, uh, murder trials and uh, talk to attorneys, talk to forensics people, talk to homicide detectives and profilers. And just I had an awful lot to learn. And so I began to build my learning book by book with whatever I'd have to learn for that particular book. And, in the, you know, in the next book, I would go to perhaps a homicide detective and lay out the scenario and, you know, get, get wonderful feedback that could, get, that could be put into um, the book. So I would learn book by book what I needed to learn. And then over the course of time, you know, you as, an, uh, as a suspense writer, I, I began to understand more about how the law works, how... Um, police work, you know, works and all of that. One and, and and during the course of all those years, one, I would watch a lot of the true crime shows on TV, like oh, 48 Hours and yes. Forensic Files. There's some really good ones um, that would teach forensics, true forensics. What I would never allow myself to do was to watch the fiction crime dramas on TV. You know, the CSI fiction, right. um, all those popular shows that so many people watch, I would not watch them because I knew that what they show is not real. Um, there's a lot if, that if I allowed uh, information from those fiction shows to come into my books or into, even into my head, I would forget what's, what's true and what isn't. <laughs> so I would never allow myself to watch those shows. So, it, you know, it's over the course of many years that I've... Um, increased my knowledge in all of these areas that I need to know. So sometimes when I, when I sit down to write a book, I don't need to do that much research. It's kind of general and I know, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I just, I just research very specifically as to my type of case or 
uh, like when I wrote Dark Justice, um, which was about um, terrorism against our electric grid, I researched, you know, how to bring down the electric grid, which I'm sure, by the way, I am on the sites of the FBI and, you know, somewhere out there, the NSA, somewhere out there, because I did all these searches online about how to bring down the electric grid. So, yeah, God forbid anyone should see my computer searches. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but how, that's how true. Topical. I mean, how topical yeah they may today, have though, this because... phone this phone tapped right now <laughs> who knows <laughs> anyway. our imagination is wild well and then the electrical grid did go down this past week in san francisco new york um lax so how and other places you know so how interesting um oh well, so hmm. yeah so what do you like most about writing suspense and the follow-up question is what do you least like about it I least like beginning the book. I best like finishing. <laughs> a truism. I mean, yes. I know true. you probably, you know, don't want to hear that from a writer, but honestly, I find <laughs> writing very difficult. Most yeah. days I'd rather be doing anything but writing. Um, mm. It's not easy for me. It is a real struggle for me. Um, I have I have almost painted myself into a corner in the sense that my seatbelt suspense brand, which you read in your introduction of me, has a four-point brand promise, fast-paced, character-driven, myriad twists, and an interwoven thread of faith. That brand, my loyal readers know that brand and expect that every one of my books is going to fulfill that brand. Right. There mm -hmm. are many premises that I might come up with what if stories that won't fit that brand and therefore I have to throw them out I can't write the book mostly be, the, because of the first one fast paced you know you can read a lot of suspense right. that kind of is slow getting into the story it's a slow mm -hmm. you know uptick so to speak mine have to start page one by the end of chapter one which usually is not very long my protagonist, the inciting incident, the, the big, you know, major first conflict has happened, and my protagonist is in major trouble. That starts, boom, in first chapter. And so right. a lot of suspense stories um, or premises that I might come up with don't fit that because it would take a kind of a, a slower gradation into the story and into the tension. So coming up with those stories that fit that is hard. Um, and then, you know, as I'm writing the story, just my constant concern is, oh, my gosh, this is boring. This isn't, you know, this isn't tense enough. It's boring. It's boring. That's always in the back of my head. Oh, my goodness. Is this, is this fast-paced mm. enough? Is this hooky enough? And yeah. so, you know, trying to end every chapter with a hook, trying to constantly live up to my brand, which is a, a well-known brand and a very specified brand, um, that's hard for me to do. <laughs> so consequently, I, do I don't find I don't find writing all that easy. <laughs> now, what about your contemporary novels? Um, humor, you, you mentioned you had humor. Well, um, humor has its own challenges for some. The timing has to be right. Um, does that come more naturally to you? Oh, it does. It comes very naturally. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever heard me speak or you know, maybe gone yes. to the American Christian Fiction Writers Conference that I emcee, or I'm up on stage a lot and I have to, you know, I don't know, MC the, all of our general sessions, 
humor comes very easy to me, and I can write that off the cuff or I can speak it off the cuff. That is not difficult for me. Um, so you, you those know books who it are comes to? Right. That brings to mind the um, the last ACFW conference last year, Linda Davis, who is yeah. the last recipient oh, <laughs> of awards night. And humor, yeah. I interviewed her on this show as well, and humor does come quite easily to her. <laughs> She's a character. You noticed She's that, incredible. did you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She, she really silenced us uh, with her. I mean, just... She was awesome. But um, yeah, anyway, it was awesome. so let's move into you. You have entered the twilight zone of indie publishing. Um, yes. How do you like it? Yes. Tell I do like think. it. I do like it. Um, I entered it, I don't know, maybe four years ago. It, it, it just happened. I was thinking about, well, actually, I already put out one indie novel anyway. So I was thinking about it. But then in, in the space of a very short time, I lost my, my publishing contract because that publisher got out of fiction, as many publishers have done recently. Oh, yes, and, yes. and I also lost my agent when my wonderful agent, Lee Huff, died of brain cancer. So mm, I was suddenly, sad. without an agent yeah. and a, a contract. Now, I could very easily have taken those books in that contract and moved them to another, other publishers who were already you know, some of them were already contacting me saying we're interested. So it's not that that would have been a problem. And I could have stayed with the same agency and gotten another agent. But it just seemed to be me to be a clean break time for me to try going indie. And, and I really like it. I, I am business minded. I'm very independently minded. And so those characteristics are good for an independent author. Yes. And it gives you um, tremendous freedom. You know, I, I too do indie now switched over and uh, to the, the dork side, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I think it gives you a tremendous amount of freedom and it's, it's wonderful. You know, I just mm -hmm. um, encourage people, if, you know, if they feel comfortable with it, you know, and mm -hmm. to always hire mm -hmm. editors to edit your work. <laughs> yes, and um, you know, my 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 loyal readers followed me. I mean, they don't really care who's publishing me. They just no, they don't. wonder when my next book is out. So, it it certainly helps to be a traditionally published author in the first place, who moves to independent publishing in the sense that you bring your readership with you. You're not yes. building from scratch. But of yes, course, I took years on. Yes, well, but it's hard uh, on the trad pub side. It's hard to be accepted into a publishing house, you know, and to build that um, readership on that side too. So either side, mm -hmm. whether you start as an indie or if you start as a traditionally pubbed author and then move over, you, you got to pay your dues either side. There's no question. And I, I feel like indie authors know more about marketing than traditionally published. Well, because, we do you know, because we we have to and we get yeah. numbers. As a trad yeah. pub author, you don't see your numbers, your royalty statements come out months later and they're aggregated it's aggregate data which don't yeah. show you the breakdown of what particular marketing strategy worked because you're just getting aggregate data. Whereas as, in the dark. In, as an independent author, I can see my my sales daily. So if I put an ad on Facebook, I can see right away whether it's working or not. That's a, 
that's a huge paradigm shift for an author. Well, um, gosh, we're running out of time as usual, um, but I do want to tell readers where they can find you, um, brandilyncollins.com, B-R-A-N-D-I-L-Y-N, collins.com. And you're also on Facebook and Twitter. And um, are you on Pinterest as well and Instagram? I meant to ask I, I No, not really. Uh-uh. Okay. So there's, there's these only are the so much time in a day, Linda. What can I say? <laughs> I know, I know. We're expected to do it all. But um, so in in five minutes or less, can you tell us about your miracle healing? Because I, I don't want to do the show without talking about that. And, and people can go yes, to your website, I, which I just mentioned, to get the full story. Yes, you can read the full story on my website. And if you're listening, please do that, because it's a wonderful story of, of blessing um, and, and answer to prayer and, and, and true a, a true uh, miracle. I got Lyme disease in 2002 and was undiagnosed for six or seven months. I went from running five miles a day, very fit, to crippled, uh, and it hit me very quickly. And uh, medication was not working. I was getting worse, in fact. I was about ready to get a PICC line um, implanted in my chest where they can put the antibiotics, you know, directly into your in your veins mm. and um but i went to a uh prayer meeting at which i was prayed for for my um all my symptoms and in an hour uh dow went away dow went away <laughs> that's the short version so i was Love completely it. healed but the way god used other prayers the way god brought that together um, the way God showed me that that healing really was far less about me and far more about showing his people, his followers and believers, yes. his power, because he um, included so many people in praying for me. The way that whole thing came together uh, it was is just on, it's just an amazing story. And it is on my website. If you go to my homepage, you'll see a page called My Healing and you can read about it there. And it's a powerful testimony. Um, yeah. Powerful. Okay, so I am going to announce um, the winner of your latest, re well, your latest release when it was 30 books, <laughs> um, Vain Empires. Um, and the winner is Sandy Cleary. So congratulations, Sandy. Um, so, uh, you are speaking, you have some upcoming events. Uh, we're going to do something fun at the end. I'm trying to fit it in. Um, you are going to be speaking at the Kentucky Christian Writers Conference. Um, yes, in June. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. June 23rd through 24th in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, teaching for yes. four hours. Okay. And people can yeah. go to the website for Kentucky Christian Writers. Um, yes. And then Fantastic Fiction Retreat, June 2nd through 3rd. Um, Classes, well, kind of right in your backyard almost, right? That's, yeah, the classes are actually being held at my house, and there's only room for 15. I've only got three slots left. So if you're interested in being a intensive teaching on fiction and also in a just a gorgeous setting, um, you can go to my website to, to read about the fantastic fiction retreat. Yeah. 
All right, that's wonderful. And then, of course, the ACFW Annual Conference, which is at my yes. favorite place, um, the Gaylord Hotel yeah. in Grapevine, Texas, because I live in Texas and I love that place. It has the uh, yes. uh, replica of the Alamo inside of it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, my goodness. Yeah, it's going to be beautiful. Yes. Yeah. They will remember ACFW and the Alamo both in one <laughs> there you go <laughs> and, and that is on september 21st through 24th and you are the mc and you also facilitate yeah. the prayer room there aren't many I conferences do. that have a prayer room and so that's what i love oh. about it and that's where uh, frankly that's okay. where the real conference takes place amen and i'm going to ask you um just a quick thing i call suspenders for suspense okay uh in lamb to the slaughter by roald dahl which inventive way does the murderess dispose of the murder weapon? And hint, this was on an Alfred Hitchcock um, episode where she kills her abusive husband um, with, let's see, I'm going to read it, with a meat cleaver, um, a leg of lamb. Uh, well, I'll just do those three. A meat cleaver, floor mop, or leg of lamb. Which one did she kill her well, husband it, with? Just, you can just guess. I have no idea. But I'm she thinking that the husband. leg of lamb would be a very bad way to kill somebody. <laughs> but it works. She kills her husband by hitting him with a frozen leg of lamb on the head, of course, <laughs> which she then puts <laughs> in the oven to roast. After the police have searched fruitlessly for it, she serves it to them with potatoes, vegetables, and mint sauce. <laughs> well, and my mother I, thought I had a warped mind? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yes, I just thought that was the, that's to me the most inventive murder weapon ever. Okay, I, I don't go that far in my books, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, my other favorite murder weapon was in a book um, by Peter Abresh, uh, in which he kills somebody with a bonsai tree, which... I've got to read that now and find out how. <laughs> okay. But our time is up. Our time is up. And I just want to say thank you so much, Brendan, for, for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.